Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. We are keeping the X-Alp streak alive here with my good friend Hansa Rizmanik, who raced in five Red Bull X-Alps starting in 2007 and ending in 2015, which was my first. So we take a walk and a fly down memory lane in this one with Hansa. He's now a meteorologist, has a couple kids. He's been doing these really cool tandem bibbies with his elder son. You've heard I had he and his son Martin on the show uh, a little while back. They had another big adventure, big Volbib adventure in the Alps this summer, which was really cool to watch. Had some good weather and flew a long ways. But yeah, we, we go back and hear about the highs and lows of his X-Alps exploits, you know, being third in 2009 and uh, all kinds, all the crazy things that happens in that race. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. Before we get to it, uh, as we dive into December here, I've got a few things of housekeeping, some fun stuff. The first is fear injuries. We're getting ready to launch uh, an, a Kindle version of my book, Advanced Paragliding. This is one of the chapters in the book, and we want to sample and find out more about fear injuries, how it affects performance and a bunch of other things. So if you have had one, can you jump on my website and just zip me an email and uh, we'll reach out and, and uh, dive into these a little bit more. It's something we want to understand more because it's a, it's a term I think that's maybe not very well understood. It's certainly something we've been talking about last couple of years on the show. I don't know if it came from paragliding or something else. So trying to find out more. The other is uh, many of you got back to me about this podcast. It was one of our most popular with Hannah Jane Williams. She's a postdoctoral researcher at the Max Planck Institute and she was studying soaring birds and uh, had some pretty interesting take on that, but she was not a pilot. And so has been reaching out to pilots and using them to grab data and putting instruments on paragliders to grab data to help them understand more how birds do and why they do what they do. So the podcast was great. It was very educational. I loved it. And Hannah just reached out to me very recently and wanted me to tell all of you that they have a uh, a spot for a paragliding-based PhD position that they've just opened up. I'll read you this. The position will investigate all the things we spoke about in the podcast, but uh, with the main question being how valuable is social information for flight performance and competitive paragliding flight. So she wanted me to share that with all of you. It's going to suit a pilot with an interest in modeling, computational biology, or aerodynamics. So if you think that something you might be interested in, there's a link in the show notes for this one. Just go to the website and pull up this podcast with Hansa, and there's a link there and you can find out all about it and you can find out where to reach out to Hannah and uh, see if this would suit you. Sounds really cool. And finally, I'm leaving in a couple days for the super final, but I wanted to let you all know about a very cool mission that Miguel and his team at Elasto Hombre is 
putting together up in Nayarit right after the Super Final. So I think the Super Final wraps the 17th. On the 18th, we're going to get on a plane in uh, Tucumán, which is just outside of Valle, and fly up to Nayarit, up by Puerto Vallarta, and fly the mountains there. It looks really cool, and apparently the flying is epic. Uh, there's been some cool videos going around on that and some pretty heavy hitters going up there to fly. So it's a three-day kind of semi-comp just to explore the area and see if this is something that would work for us for future endeavors down there. So another sister site to Valle where we could do big comps. So they will supply, uh, uh, retrieve, I don't know if retrieve, but at least getting up to the launch. And so this isn't a, you know, fully organized thing but it's something that you're if you're down in valle or you're down in mexico this december definitely take a look at that and i will also have the link for that in the show notes for this one i'll be posting that on social media and stuff as well but the area is called nayarit flying looks epic and you know miguel and his team they put on a good show it'll be awesome so it'll be a lot of fun so if you can make it come on down and join us and enjoy the show with anza this was a special talk hope you like it Cheers. Hansa, uh, great to have you back on the show. We had some uh, technical difficulties. I, I know uh, tech is not your thing. You're a meteorologist and a pilot. So that was that was kind of a funny reminder. We're, we're going to be talking about tech in this show, you know, going back to 2007. I remember in the 2015 one, you were still using your little Garmin thing. So, uh, you know, I, I think you're more a fan of paper maps than than all the all the tech. But good to have you back, bud, and good to see you here. And I'm excited to talk some XOPS with you with another one right around the corner. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. And uh, it's going to be, I think, in... What in the last eight editions, the first one that neither of us are in, huh? <laughs> That's right. We're, That's right. Yeah, we're, we've we'll we've, both be spectators. Yeah, we've been there for quite a bit more than a, a decade. If you put the two of us together, yeah, that's okay. So that's my first question. Uh, how hard was it for you to watch your first one and not be in it? So how hard was 2017? Because I'm right around the corner for that one. I'm already starting to get a little bit jumpy about that. You know, it was it was not too bad, but thanks to like uh, we've had a podcast about this. But basically, when I started doing my own little private exops with my son on the tandem with Martin, we were doing our very first one. He was eight, and we were doing our very first one as the 2017 uh, was going on. So uh, we occasionally checked into it, but I actually didn't follow it religiously. Like from, I wasn't, you know, at work behind it computer and frantically checking the xops so just frothing yeah yeah, yeah. that's it's actually a good inspiration for me watching you and martin doing these awesome trips i mean i i know we're gonna get you guys back on for this last one because you guys covered some serious ground that was amazing but your first one was when he was eight and my little one's five and she just got her her uh her tandem kit from nate you know he's not flying much so he i just we just got her harness actually yesterday so i'm prepping man i'm gonna be following in your footsteps excellent excellent yeah it's 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 an it's an awesome it's just you know i can't i can't um it's the one thing i look forward to most every year now is doing these uh uh these hike and fly self-supported trips with with martin would you ever? Would you ever go back to the X Alps? Would you do, or has this filled the filled the void? I think it's momentarily filled the void, but you know, 
inspired me tremendously was seeing Ogisawa in his 60s. I know. And I that know. just blew my mind, uh, you know, because I remember I remember he had a disqualification. It might have been uh, 2013, uh, I believe, maybe even 2011. And he had an airspace violation super early on. And, and he was, yeah, he was 50 or just over 50 at that time. And I was like, oh man, that's got to be his last one. He he got disqualified on day two. I think it was, I think it was 2011. There was they got really strict for a moment there where they disqualified like with no 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 uh, buffer, no time penalty used yeah. out. And uh, oh, and it was, it was super cool to see him back, and it was good to see him kind of still hang in there. You know, like I mean, he was obviously uh, you know w- wasn't top ten, but he was. I mean, he was for a sixty year old. That's that's amazing. Oh, dude! I mean, he and I were going neck and neck, trying not to get eliminated at the end in the, in this last one it, it, with with my terrible start, and he was making some cool moves. And you know, we had uh, you know, I haven't communicated verbally very much with Ogie, uh, but he at the party afterwards, he gave me this look, and I think I gave the one back that was you know, because the weather in this last one was really sketch and. And, uh, he, we gave these look of each other that was just, man, I appreciate you. <laughs> you know, and it was kind of both ways. It was, man, we were fighting back there and, and we both hung in there. So it was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it could be something as, uh, you know, when, when I'm in my early sixties, <laughs> I might throw in an application and, and, and see if they take me. If they do, I'll, I'd love to do it again. But, uh, yeah, yeah. it's pretty fun yeah. as you know, it's well, and we're going to, we're going to talk about the the fun that you had and maybe some of the not fun that you had, but uh, we've, we've done a few of these now, a couple of them now with Tom and Kriegel. And so, you know, the theme, we talked about this before we started recording, but we're going to rewind the clock to actually the first one that I watched as well was 2007. I remember that very vividly. I was up in Scotland sailing and we were trying to get internet wherever we could. And we had clients on board who had no idea what the race was all about. And Bruce and I were just, Oh, we got to, we we sail for an hour. We got to get back to the XL, see what's going on. Watch Hansa and Nate. And, uh, but take us back to 2007. You're going to share with us, uh, and you could certainly share more, but share with us a memory that maybe wasn't captured in the race or that, you know, that wasn't in a story or one of the videos, but something that still strikes you now is, is just a really good moment and maybe a not so good moment. You know, we tend to re- remember not so good, good moments as good moments anyway, as time goes by. But, uh, tell us about 2007. Yeah. 2000, uh, 2007. Um, definitely, uh, I'll, I'll always start with the worst, but the worst was just the evening before the race. Uh, I had a, a, a dinner right. and, and, after that dinner i went with a few of the pilots and, and and dave my supporter went and we just had a dinner and i remember like walking back and across this bridge i already got sick and i threw up dinner and i was like oh man there goes 13 euros i just threw up 13 euros. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was the least of it because then that night uh you know i got i got the runs and i didn't sleep very much and in the morning it was just both oh, those things continued and it was this was the last where last of the exops where they didn't start out of Salzburg. We actually um, took a gondola about halfway up the Duchstein, and then there was um, 
it was, and you know, we were based out of uh, near Hallstatt, uh, and yeah. took the gondola halfway up, halfway up to Duckstein, and then uh, at about a thousand meters to hike up. So for most people, I was like an hour, hour and twenty minutes. And I started. There was a little bit of a downhill, hit the bottom of the downhill, and threw up again. And then it was just a crawl because I had like no energy in me. It was, it was, you know, I never know exactly what happened, but. Um, I think something I ate the, the the day before and, you know, my most likely culprit is a piece of salami that floated in the cooler in some melted ice water and maybe picked up something off the side of the cooler, maybe, and maybe, maybe it was something oh, totally different, but I picked up some pretty bad bug and, you know, I was like, this, this was terrible. I was basically, you know, it, as I was hiking up, crawling up to the Dutchstein, I was watching these guys fly. I was feeling really strong wind flushing down, down the Dutchstein, the side I was walking up and I got there. It was too windy. And basically they arranged, uh, for the race doctor to come up there, check me out and, um, that I could spend the night at the Dutchstein lift station. Um, and the oddest thing, Gavin is there was some, there's one other guy, from Turkey. So had everyone else already flown? Everybody off? flew off. Yeah. I was basically, well, I wasn't quite last. Cause I, there was this guy from Turkey who wasn't sick, but he, he got in there on flying merits, but he was terribly out of shape because he, <laughs> he got up there maybe just slightly ahead of me. And it was by the time he got up there, it was too strong for him to fly. So him and I, we called it the Dutchstein prison. Cause it was basically a locker room. Uh, we got told we could stay there. Um, I know the, I remember the race doctor came and, uh, I think gave me a little bit of, uh, IV drip just, to to, to get my, get me a little bit rehydrated. Um, but yeah, we, then in the morning it was locked, so we couldn't get out till I think six or seven in the morning. And, and then it was blown over, blown from the North. So the wrong way. So I had to hike down 2000 meters. So everybody got off that day and, basically had to hike down for 2000 meters, you know, then uh, towards the end of the day, saw the race doctor again. Uh, but he was saying, you know, uh, I'll, I could give you antibiotics, but I have to ask you to quit the race. I said, well, I'm not, no, don't give me antibiotics. I'm, I'm not going to quit the race. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, happy to be in it. And there's a slight chance, slight chance that I might not be eliminated because there's this, this Turkish guy who's not moving very much. He, I kind of passed him that day, despite him not being sick. And I think he, he basically after 23 kilometers, he, he gave it up. I mean, I, th I think it's a, just called, we it. just called it. Yeah. But I, he might've, I forget, I forget exactly whether he called it or whether he stayed in place. I don't know if that was being respected at the time, but kind of long story short on that is slowly, slowly I started getting better, but it was like four days before I was, feeling myself again luckily on day three i managed to have a good flight it was only 50 kilometers but it was the longest flight of that whole x alps but it put me uh seventh from last which gave me a okay. little bit of a buffer not by much but a little bit of a buffer from uh being eliminated because that was the so back you know back in 07 we we could hike all night every night there was no sleep rule no rest rule but it was the first year that the elimination rule uh, was instituted. So, 
Ah, they didn't have that before? They didn't have that before. Yeah, they didn't have that in 03 ah. and 05. So uh, this was the first the first year that got um, that got put in there. But um, luckily, yeah, I got that, that that third day saved me. And it was it was, you know, it was one we had to cross the crest of the Alps from the north to the south. And I remember just it was one of those days where the you're not getting much above crest level. So you're kind of, you know, thrumbled up to a spot where I'm just kind of sloshing against it. And there's just wind kind of sloshing, sloshing, sloshing. And finally, in one of those sloshes that you got a little bit of lift, was able to clear the crest and get, then get into the the other valley and then, you know, f- continue with the flight uh, that, down the valley and gotten across the crest. And it was just, it was, that was kind of the, felt like a really miraculous save. So that's, that was, that was really crux. Is what a way to start! Oh, to be so sick after all the preparation and training. And I had to ask you. So, I mean, this was just the third one. Um, how big of a deal was it in in two thousand seven? Was it was it still, you know, the the biggest thing going in paragliding? Were you just blown away to be in it and be there, or was it still kind of a budding race? I, I think he was transitioning to something really big. Uh, I mean, I, I actually didn't get in on the first round, but they kept uh, like six sort of wild cards or standbys. And huh. it was, uh, Nate got in on the first one and I was like, okay, well, you know, he didn't, he'd done the Dolomitten man or some, uh, or one of those races. So he had, he'd had done something else in Aspen. So he'd done a few little things where, you know, his name was there and, you know who? You know who really uh, got me in there. I mean, uh, obviously Dave Dave Hanning was trying hard to get me in, but he asked Will Gad to write me uh, a, a short little ah. um, thing of support. And in back in the day in Sun Valley, we used to do the Dave Bridges Memorial Race, and um, you know I raced Will Gad up uh, up Baldy, and kind of that Will Gad at least kind of knew of me a little bit, and he he just wrote a really short like three sentence recommendation email that said it'd be it'd be fun in a kind of sick way to watch nate and hansa go at it <laughs> you know just to have two two people from the <laughs> two states. Sun valley boys yeah and uh so yeah so it was when i got in there that was that was super cool to to get in there then then i had this scary incident where i thought i'd be eliminated immediately which would have been just embarrassing and just just bummer and yeah. but then it got you know then it got better this race gavin they didn't have um well it was um, there wasn't a, like a maximum number of days. There was, it was two days after the first guy makes it. Um, Alex Hoffer took 14 days to make it. It was only 850 kilometers. So it just tells you how the, how the speed has changed, right? So 850 kilometers, uh, Alex Hoffer makes it in 14 days. So on day 15, he's finishing, which is giving everybody 16 days to, to to keep you know to uh, on day 17 is when it's done so yeah. this was the longest one i've been in i mean more than half a month and yeah that's crazy so it allowed for a tremendous amount of time uh to sort of claw my way back through through the through the pack i mean i was you know and Nate had a super good start. I remember just passing through places like near the Marmolada. And I was like, man, Nate was here 48 hours ago. <laughs> there's, just, there's like no way I'm ever going to catch Nate. And then uh, uh, by day, 
14 or 15. I managed to catch up to him and uh, we ha- we hiked in the evening and then Lisa made us some breakfast burritos in the morning and we hiked uh, uh, you know through about noon the next day and um, unfortunately his feet were really in bad shape. Uh, uh, Man, his stories of his feet. He took his his shoes and cut and them just up, cut the sides of them open, yeah, so his feet could hang out of them. Oh, they sounded mangled yeah. like mine in 2015. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you know, he, he despite him having such a strong start, he was you know he by the end he was suffering pretty bad. So, I had to I had to leave him uh, and keep keep pushing and. Managed to uh, almost catch up to Ehrlich, uh, Jessup. So I, uh, you know, squeaked into uh, the top 10. I got into ninth uh, that year after all that. So it was, but it was, it was, you know, it was a very, it didn't seem so super crazy paced. I mean, there was, there was the, you know, we'd march long into the night. We'd kind of, the habit was you go to about, 1 a.m. till you're just super tired and then wake up with the sun at six ish. Uh, so you kind of doing these, these five hour nights. Uh, but it somehow it was a little, you know, it was kind of at least waking up with the sun was really, uh, really good that year. Um, and we really had no idea what we we're doing. I mean, we, we came in there blind. I came in there with a map that was like one to 500,000. It was a road map. <laughs> You know, I I I Google Earth flown over the place a bunch of times. I was like, "Wow, there's a lot of mountains from here to there." <laughs> you know, and I, I tried to print a few print screens of like what I saw on the Google Maps on the route, but I was I was really like, "I'm just gonna have to kind of take this day by day and and see what happens." And I mean, in the air, you weren't flying with a phone that had the next waypoints and all the stuff like we do now. Is it were you just mm-hmm. Often, I don't know where I am. We I'll just fly that. We way. had way we had waypoints on some big, uh, you know. I think it was one of those fly techs. They gave us something that we had to carry a big brick, and that that okay. gave us the waypoints. Uh, we had our phone, but basically, but, the, but those are the main waypoints. Those are just the. Oh yeah, you know, oh yeah. We had no no right? waypoints for the day or anything like that. I mean, it was right. it was a whole different approach. I mean, and and to me, it seemed much a much more organic approach. Where once you know. Once I got off launch, uh, there was my game. There was like no communication with the supporter. Like the flying part of it was totally my my game. The only thing once I remember calling Dave on a re- it was a really good day approaching the Swiss border, and I called him from the air because I just really needed to check if there was like a a ceiling over us because it was just such a good day. We're getting to like three thousand eight hundred, and I just needed to know is there a ceiling? Like, can I am I gonna get some kind of violation even though it didn't look like an area where they told us about airspace but i just i just wanted to ask so that's that the only time i like that we communicated in the air <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing yeah and i mean for navigation on the ground is it literally just the 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 one to five hundred thousand map you had you didn't have were you using many kind of gps we or? had an e-trex like an uh a, a, a an E-Trex GPS. We had we had some maps that we kind of gathered along the way. I mean, we had a little bit of a budget, so like Dave would kind of sprint ahead and just buy the local topo maps, and uh, 
but it was uh you know we we're just kind of make making do as best as we uh could luckily the the Sion area since there was the um there's the Iger turn point that uh you know uh, the way i approached uh martini and all that was from north of that whole valley that's got the Sion airspace so mm-hmm. i didn't have to um I, I didn't have to really deal with um with that, I just kind of came in from this diagonal. If you kind of took a diagonal from the Eiger uh, towards Martigny, uh, I approached that okay. and just landed up. You know, it was still it was in the evening. It wasn't super crazy. I've had some cr- much crazier landings, like past Martigny. This was upwind of Martigny, and it was of course windy, but it wasn't it wasn't a crazy uh, crazy windy situation there that that time. Is there a, a moment or a day or something in the race that just still really stands out as, as a really special moment that, you know, a kind of a high of the race? Uh, I, I think of that, of that particular race, I, I, like I said, the, the first, the first, actually my first proper, proper uh, XC flight on day three, that, that really, mm. that really saved it because that you know it it, it would that made or break would have would have would have you know if that hadn't succeeded, I might have been facing elimination uh, possibly. So it was uh, it was you know it, it, and and I launched and I started sinking out of course. So it made it extra sketchy. I was like, oh man, oh man, oh man. I got you know how it is. You get you get below you get you get the grassy areas up top. You get the grassy areas in the bottom. But you got the, the that middle tree layer, and there's not always landing areas there. So once you drop below that, you're kind of committed to the valley if you if you keep sinking. And it was uh, yeah, just met, got you know into the tree area, but managed to thermal out and uh, and and save it. So that was uh, I think that's still the most that's... the crux. Yeah, the the, the 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 what really stands out. I mean. Uh, a lot of days, that's, a lot of days hiking, hiking awesome. through the rain, hiking, you know, just hiking late, late into the night. Um, but, uh, but that, I think that stands out, uh, stands out the most. You know, this is going off topic here a little bit, but uh, I don't think this will hold true this year now because the numbers will shift. But the last time I did a check, maybe this was 2017 or maybe 2019 it was over half of the u.s uh participants in the x alps that had ever done it mm-hmm. had kind of cut their teeth in sun valley yeah i wouldn't I be surprised i wouldn't be surprised really fascinating yeah. you know it's you and nate to start off with mm-hmm. but you know will gad you know uh uh, you know, myself, Mitch, mm-hmm. Willie, um, I'm missing some, but pretty remarkable. That's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. Well, Sun Valley has been such a great training ground. I mean, I think I always said, if, if you get comfortable with Sun Valley, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're ready right. for the Owens and that's uh, the Owens is only, a, I think thing like that is one, one layer or one level higher. Uh, yeah, yeah. uh, obviously midsummer Owens, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think, you know, once, once you get comfortable with Sun Valley, a lot of stuff doesn't seem that, that crazy anymore. 
<laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay, so 2009 it was a really good one for you. Third place. Uh, take us back to 2009. Yeah, so 2009. So uh, I still had uh, uh, Dave Henning as a supporter. Um, we knew uh, a little bit better what you know what we're getting into. Uh, I think we had more than more than two pairs of shoes this time. Uh, <laughs> we had some, uh, you know, let's see with, um, let's start with the worst on that one. The worst. So I, we got off to a good start. We got off to a good start. I think, uh, by the time we got to the Marmalada area, um, I was, I would say I was, um, Almost maybe fifth, fourth, fifth. It was really looking good. And then um, before getting to Bolzano, um, yeah, no, no, I know what, actually. It, it was a two-part deal. It was the first, the first day was not very good. And we all flew just a little bit off the Geisberg, side hill landed, uh, and then all ran downhill because everybody's excited toma's running and we're all okay we're gonna run with toma for a while and i just did not that was not good for my knees because i hadn't trained uh to you know do a lot of running with that backpack so i i i damaged my knees a bit and they were really starting to, that damage was starting to kick in by about day four and even though i was doing pretty well around fourth there approaching bolzano it was too um too windy to fly down into there and so it was about a i don't know four thousand foot or 1200 meter hike down into bolzano and i hiked it all backwards because my knees were hurting but it did they didn't they didn't hurt hiking backwards so (laughs) so so that that was like a remedy there but what, what i what i didn't realize i was doing with that move is i was totally screwing up my achilles heel so then I got oh my, my Achilles heel that starts getting all swelled up uh, and basically tendonitis of the Achilles. And there I had to slow down a bit and suddenly I, you know, I'm back to like 10th. And it was only thanks to some really good flights after that that I was able to um, kind of stay back in the game. The knees got better on their own. The Achilles tendon kind of kept kept bugging. The race doctor would like, put shots of some homeopathic injections in there. They didn't, you know, maybe helped a little bit, but, uh, um, yeah, it was, it, it was, uh, thanks Ouch. to the flying, I think that it, that I, that it helped, um, you know, help me stay up front. And then, um, it was a year, a lot of people had, you know, airspace violations, um, uh, I think Helmut from Austria had uh, got eliminated. Toma might have gotten eliminated. I think that was that was a year they were being very very strict. Uh, there was I think it was all or nothing. It was, I think there wasn't a penalty. It was just mm. elimination. Uh, and oh, wow. so I would say at least two or three or maybe more got eliminated. And then Martin Miller, Martin Miller from Switzerland, who would have won in own. 07 had he not um had a violation but back in 07 they gave a 48 hour penalty 
so he had a, you know, he hit the EC on airspace and that let Alex Hoffer get first and Thomas second in 07. Martin Miller was doing well, but then he flew into some box Canyon and broke his ankle. And the, so he was out. And I know if, if he'd stayed in there, uh, I, I'm, I'm like 99% certain he would have passed me at some point. Cause he sometimes, sometimes he'd have a little bit of a rough start, but then the second half, he would often just jet through the, uh, you know, standings and all the way yeah. up top. So, so he's come back. Yeah. Again. So he's, he's real good, but he got, he got hurt. And then towards the end, maybe day eight or nine, it was suddenly appearing that, you know, it was this race for third between Aiden toast from England. Um, and, and, and myself and Aiden was a runner, not quite of the caliber of Toma, but he was definitely a runner. He could run. And, uh, so we had this back and forth over a few days where he would always outrun me and then I would outfly him and then he would outrun me. And we had this long one where we both ended up, you know, we tagged the Matterhorn the same morning. We both kind of more or less flew out, uh, in towards Wisp, uh, that afternoon. And then we had 80 kilometers up the valley towards Martigny and he just started running. And I was like, Oh man. <laughs> and I just walked and I walked all night and I walked into Martigny the ne- next, you know, the next morning and up to the, uh, that the Col de Forclaw that's above Martigny. And luckily it was too windy. Cause I was just not having pulled that all nighter. I was like, I was not feeling in any f- flying shape at all. And I think, um, Aiden gotten himself a little bit further towards Chamonix, but he was having a hard time with the wind and wasn't able to fly. But somehow in the meantime, that that day that uh, we were both not able to fly, Evgeny from Russia managed to kind of hop, uh, just hop, hop, hop over from uh, Zermatt area, like towards Verbier and just stayed deeper in there and was able to... Um, to make his way. And suddenly we were all more or less in the Chamonix area. And the evening, two days prior to the, to the last day, because this was, you know, Maurer had made it. Uh, so we had, uh, there was, you know, the 48 hours had already kicked in hours. and we're all within about five kilometers of each other. And then the next morning, we each start making our own moves, um, and uh, you know, we got, I remember hiking uh, and basically hiking up to Cloud Base. And it was just too early, so taking a little nap, which which is always a good thing in the X Alps. If you're if you're on launch early, and you can manage to take a nap, which by the end, like the final days, like days, you know, nine, ten, eleven, it doesn't take much to you know any any stopping of movement basically has you napping like you, you, it doesn't take it's, it's it's not an effort to take a nap it's an effort to stay awake so right. so taking a little power nap before the flight really helped just just to kind of get my head straight and then it was a combination of i think almost nine hopper flights for the most part um and uh, i remember at one point seeing Evgeny fly by but continuing down into a very stable valley so i side hilled uh and just with a bunched up glider hiked up maybe not even 100 meters 
and waited. It was, you know, cloud base wasn't much uh, above us and had to wait basically time thermal cycles and go a little ways along the ridge and uh, got through a little coal and side hilled again and base- basically then had to pull out my map. And this was still looking at an old Etrex Garmin and a big paper map, uh, trying to make sense of where I am, where, what my next move is. And luckily, luckily I knew this area a little bit because it wasn't, you know, um, we're basically now between, uh, we've rounded, we've rounded Mont Blanc and we're all in the same game of just, you know, go as straight a course line towards Monaco because nobody's going to make Monaco. It's impossible. So you're just, you're just trying to go straight down the course line and, you know, get as much distance and, um, manage to, uh, at the right time, basically fly into the air uh, near Borg San Maurice and cloud base at that point had risen close to a thousand meters. So it was like top of lift was now 2,700 meters or so. It was able to fly all the way up uh, to Col de Zarine and actually, I think, yeah, had to land up there, walk a little bit, and then was able to sort of launch on a shoulder and fly you know southward into the next valley and find just just keep hiking and then i was doing my math because i knew i knew aiden could run and i was but he he kind of missed the window there a little bit um and didn't get into that great like end of the day flight and up the whole valley from borg san maurice to to cold Zarine. and that was the crux move um so you know, I walked, I remember walking until 3 a.m. that night because, uh, you know, there's no no rest rules. And I knew the guy could run. And I knew, you know, we still had till at least, uh, you know, 1130 the next day. So I didn't want him catching up because I managed to. And did you know exactly where he was? Was live tracking, you know, something you could pull up on your phone or Dave could? Dave could. Guys... Dave could. And I think, okay. I, yeah, I was getting enough information from, from Dave and via phone to know that he was about 25 K as the crow flies behind us. But oh, you yeah, know, good, I was doing, you know, I, I knew I couldn't start running forever, but I knew he could. Uh, so, so I was, uh, and then I heard he was like going up into the mountains to try to take some shortcuts. So even though I'd gotten a bit of a head start, I wasn't taking it for granted. And I just kept, kept going and going and, you know, had to ended up taking a, like a little one and a half hour nap and then flew down. I think now is technically in Italy. Um, and had then there was a you know in the morning there was about 1500 meters to hike back up and over another pass and got to that pass with a few minutes to spare managed to launch and was basically airborne when the time ran out but uh that managed to put me into third and you know the honor of standing next to hoffer uh and mauer um was you know, this, that was Mauer, Mauer's first win. Uh, Hoffer, you know, uh, Hoffer barely made it in uh, within the 48 hours, which was, uh, you know, it just showed him like that the, the definitely, you know, Mauer was coming onto the scene that year, 09. And uh, God, his, fir- his first one, too. I mean, his first one, he just, just, yeah, just blasted through it. I mean, just really dominated. Yeah. So that, that was, you know, you know, I was just, I remember being super, t- super tired 
uh, as they're doing the countdown on the pod uh, for the podium finish. But uh, yeah, it was, it was unexpected in my, in my mind, I'd never, you know, you know, Dave kind of said, yeah, we're going for podium this year. I was like, yeah, sure, dude. <laughs> I just, I, I just, I, I wasn't feeling it. So it was, it was, uh, it was, you know, a combination of, of some good lucky flights and uh, other people's misfortunes. And it's, you know, something that just, you know, it, it's, 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 it, it was a fluke. But it was uh, it was it was it was an awesome feeling to stand with those two guys. Um, I mean, looking back at it now, they're, they're uh, short of Casper Henry, they're the only two guys that have ever won the X Alps. Uh, right. Uh, so to stand with those guys on the podium was was a treat. That definitely was a treat. I'd forgotten that that Hofer got second in that one. That's right. And then didn't he? After when he was training for the was it 2011 when he broke his yep, back? Yeah, yeah. 2011 it? is when all those, um, you know, the the those really the the rods, those um, the black sheep technology and all that. Uh, the, the, yeah. the, those carbon fiber rods uh, came on the scene, and it was still. I think at that point it was still. They might. I think it was still open class. I didn't. I don't think they made every glider be certified, but it was. Uh, um. Yeah, I'm trying to think if that was uh, that might have been oh, no no it, I know I, I think it was 11 that, that all that was coming on the scene uh, a lot of people a lot of people were getting on those at that time right right yeah I want to say he was flying the the R10 maybe or I can't I, the foggy memory yeah but yeah but I know a lot of people were getting hurt that was kind of like I remember just uh, yeah you know, was just a lot of people were, were getting getting hurt on those but the, that that came on the scene I think more in in 2011. Okay. So good transition. 2011. That was, uh, the first year we saw Guschel Bauer, who's also had a pretty epic run. Yeah. He, he, he got himself into, yeah. On his first one there into third place. I remember that. I think that's what put him on team, team Red Bull. Yep. And, uh, yeah. And the weather was pretty brutal in 11, right? Wasn't that the bad weather year? Yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying to, uh, let's see. I remember that was the first time we had uh, the tri um uh, turn oh, point, yeah. and so yeah, like worst for that year. Once again, got off to a, a decent start, and then this time, I think I got myself either hypothermic or something. But hiking up to the tri you know, I got super cold. Uh, but I didn't. I I had a like a, still a sweaty shirt. It was windy and cold but i wasn't fully acknowledging what was happening so i was i thought i would just you know often i would just you know no big deal i got a wet shirt i'll just keep hiking and it'll evaporate and everything will be fine i remember taking a phone call that was stupid taking a phone call from the states and sitting there in that wet shirt and towards the end not like getting cold and not even thinking rationally i could have easily pulled out a wingtip of my paraglider and wrapped it around myself and it just, I just wasn't, I wasn't thinking straight. You know, it, I remember at the base of the hill, Dave's all, you want your jacket. It was a, you know, 250 gram down jacket, super lightweight down jacket would have made all the difference. I was like, no, no, don't need it. I'm, you know, want to go super light. But uh, yeah, I got up there and I was like, okay, well, I'll get up here and have some warm soup. I had like a little sip of that soup and I could tell I was going to throw up. And then, it, and this was kind of embarrassing because I had, a, you know, I had a big plastic bag, but it was in a, in a, it's one of the few times I slept in a, 
in a hut. It was on top, but the dry Chima hut, and it was like twenty people in this bunk room. And I remember getting in there around you know midnight and then just throwing up, and it was just a. Uh, it was, it was not just embarrassing, but it was also, you know, I woke up the next morning just feeling just absolutely terrible. And, um, yeah, Dave said basically I bonked. I just kind of overdone it and just kind of. Just cut yourself. Yeah. Yeah. The next morning we, we got uh, we got going kind of slowly. It was like I'd made it up there, I think, fourth or fifth. But by next morning before it got flyable, another five or six pilots got there. So that whole like any big lead advantage had uh had quickly evaporated then it was just about like flying you know out of the dolomites and uh working my way towards murano and by um let's see you know it was the day after that we got to murano and I'm, i just remember like getting to murano landing in this really nice like overgrown old garden of berries and fruit which was really nice but also finding out that by now Mauer's already in Zermatt, which is just you look at the map and you're like, holy shit, he's just so so far ahead. And that they still hadn't implemented a minimum time rule, so we're like, wow, this race is going to be over, and who, you know we won't even get to play very long because um, that year only Mauer and Toma, I think, uh, made yeah, made it. That's right. um, so. But what I do remember on that one, um, just to back up a little bit, let's see, what is this? No, that would have been, that would have been thirteen. Okay, so this is that would have been thirteen. Yeah, it's it's funny, Gavin. It gets to be, it some of it gets to be a bit of a blur. You know, you try to yeah, it all mashes together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I used to, to tell you the truth, I think up to, up to the first three, I was able to, like in my mind, replay it day by day i'd have to carefully think through it but that's sometimes an exercise i did if i couldn't fall asleep i was like let's let's replay the x albums and i'll replay them and i had up to three of them the you know i was able to replay them kind of day by day but um now you try to like think back on each individual one and what exactly happened in, in each one it's it gets to be uh <laughs> it gets to be a little hard to, to tease it apart yeah totally they they kind of glom together and you get you get days from Oh, that that was in 2017. Oh, wait, no, that was 2019. I, I have that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I do the same thing to go to sleep sometimes and relive it, but you relive it wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I need to do is um, there's there's a fellow, I forget his name. He was in the 09, I believe, uh, ex-Alps, uh, the British guy, and he kept meticulous records of the track logs. Um uh uh tom Payne. tom Payne. tom Payne. yeah tom Payne. yeah so I'd, yeah i need to, i need to send him an email one day and uh get get the track logs of of my you know of, of my five five x alps and i'd love to superimpose it all in one map just have different colors you know uh, that'd yeah. be really great and if you he go ahead he gave that to us um he didn't have all of them but he had back to 2009 when i was getting ready for the first one my first one in 2015 we got all those from him. I, I wonder if I still have them somewhere, but they're, we use those as kind of training just cause I, you know, just to see how you all did it that, you know, how do they, how do they do this race? <laughs> cause I was a rookie and I was clueless. Remember how much I called you. Yeah. How do we do that? How many shoes should I have? All those kind of things. And so, yeah, he, he still does. He keeps meticulous notes on all that stuff. It was, he was very, 
resourceful. And you know what was what was actually I was going to say back in 07, even though it was very old technology, I think it was two minute tracking intervals. It made for much more realistic flight distances, because after that, when they got to much higher resolution tracking, they never, you know, it always thought they could have found a programmer that would put like a low pass filter and actually take out your circles and take out, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if, you, yeah. if you did it every two minutes, you'd get a much more realistic distance flown. If you count every circle and every thermal, it always said, well, this guy flew 400 kilometers today. You know, something crazy. I know. And I've often wondered if the, if the audience understands that, cause it's, yeah. The, and they'll, and they'll actually put it out, you know, in the posts, you know, Kriegel flew 280 K today, you know, and you're going, wait, no, no yeah. I mean, not even Kriegel did that. <laughs> yeah. Not... So I think it, it might be a, you know, they're pushing big numbers to make it sound interesting. And to the, I guess the majority of the audience are non-pilots that are not critically looking at this, but it, you know, it screwed everything up. Like when you're looking at the proportions of like actual distance flown, the distance yeah. hiked, because distance yeah. hiked, that's that's real distance hiked. You know, even at like whatever yeah. one minute intervals, two minute intervals, you're not moving that far. But but when you start, you know, counting every circle, it's it it totally totally skewed it. But so that that in in some ways, the old technology of every two minutes made it much more realistic for for right. distances. I never thought about that. For distances yeah, really But but still, kind of reminiscing a little bit on 2011. By then, you know being the third time going through some of these uh, places, it does start to be a trip down memory lane. And what's really cool is you go over certain places and you're like, you know, man, last time I flew through this within minutes and now I'm trekking through it, you know, over <laughs> hours and vice versa. Uh, you know? Right. So it's just, uh, it's, 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 it's definitely, but it's good. It's cool. Cause like the, the, the places are kind of like your old friends as you pass through them. Uh, yeah. And you see them in new ways. Uh, just, yeah, it's, 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 it's it, like Nate always says, you know, there's, it's a special way to see it because you would never see it in that way. Recreationally, uh, you, absolutely. you get to places in the race and fly in conditions I'm not necessarily even bad conditions, but just, you know, those morning glory fights, flights where you'd never normally even be out of bed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just crazy 10 minute sledders that are just, you know, you're the only person in the world seeing that right then. You know, it's just those moments are incredibly special. Yeah. And then I think and anything to save a hike too, the, the, the side hill landings, anything. the craziest places to side hill it, even on an active like you know, little asphalt road that's on a, basically a cut in a cliff, but it's, you know, you either land there, you look for traffic and you land and you bunch up your glider real quick, or you're going to be landing way down there at the bottom and have 200 meters of extra hiking. And it's just, uh, it, the, you do anything to save, you know, not, not having to sink out or not landing lower than you need to. And the, and the, and the number of times that I have, carried on with the flight with no options because you just, it's going to work out. You, you get into this headspace where there will be a landing. We're in the Alps. You know, right. there's going to be, I mean, I've flown down these river canyons that are just proper, you know, V canyons with, you know, basically flying down a river with surrounded by trees going, yeah, it's going to work out. 
you know, just flying past a beautiful LZ that, you know, I could have definitely landed in, but nah, I, I, you know, if I keep flying, I'll get another kilometer out of this. Yeah. Yeah. Or some <laughs> of the, crazy. some of the, the I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to remember exactly which one it was in 09 or not, but there was one memory that really comes to mind. It was, it must've been, uh, I would I, I would say maybe oh nine, but it, I remember there was the airspace of Sion. This 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 time I'm coming. No, it would have been eleven. I think it would have been eleven because oh uh, nine we hiked all that with Aiden. But eleven, it was basically threading a needle. You have a forty five degree cliff face. You've got cloud base above it, and then you've got off to the side is airspace. So you got like a very physical thing, the cliff side, this kind of ephemeral, but thing you don't go into next to a cliff, the cloud base above you. And then this invisible thing, this human made airspace wall. And it was basically threading a needle through that. Like, do you, because if you, if you, if you start sinking out too much, you're either forced on a very steep cliff side landing, or you're going to sink down into the airspace anyway, because like a triangle. And then if you you know go too high, you're in cloud and threading the needle through that. That was that's one memory that always sticks with me. Mm. That was just like you know you kind of you get through that and you're like yes. And uh, well, nice nice way to nail the uh, 2011 highlight. Uh, Twenty and let me know if we should move yeah, on. Yeah, let's go share more from 20, 2013. Yeah, because it was new crew. Um, I had. Uh, uh, Jesse Williams and Louis Rosinger, and yeah. um, it was. Um, let's go to the worst day because I always like to start with the worst day. Worst day, <laughs> uh, you know. So back in 2011 was the last time I made tenth. Last time I was in the top ten. So that was that ended uh, 2011 and. 2013, a lot of things changed. Now they're saying, okay, Mauer is moving so fast. We're going to put in a minimum. Everybody gets to race for 12 days rule, which was cool. Mm -hmm. Um, So we all knew that we'd actually get to, you know, fly for maybe more than nine or 10 or uh, however many days it was. But it just seemed like. You sure that was 2013? I believe 2013. Yeah. I thought they'd instituted that in 2015. No, no, no. He he finished that in 2013. He finished in six days or something. It was crazy. Yeah. And and that's, I remember we got to, we got to race for 12. Yeah. Okay. They instituted, that that was instituted in 2013. Because I remember 2013, like in 2015, marking some of the same spots as 2013. And what um, made the big difference for me was, you know, it 2013 the weather got bad at the end but it was it was day 11 and i'll tell you the story man we so we start super early uh we're in uh we had the saint hilaire turn was a turn point like where the saint hilaire uh, that that festival is mm-hmm. and so it had to in the morning usually you know the the program was i'd start hiking a little bit then they get some breakfast ready, catch up to me. I'd probably shed some clothes as I'm getting ready for the uphill hike. And so then I do this, you know, we go through that whole routine. I hike up to the St. Hilaire launch. And I realize that we don't have the bag of clothes. 
like we kept most of the clothes in this big blue Ikea bag. And there's two nice down jackets in there, all the speed sleeves, all the, you know, the X stuff, everything. everything. And we left it by the side of the road at like, you know, 5.30 a.m. or something. Um, uh, and about two hours ago. And it was, yeah, they went back, they drove back. It was gone. I remember trying to get them to like plaster some posters or sometimes some like lost clothes flyers. I remember on my blog, I was, you know, uh, trying to remember my French. I was like, j'ai perdu mes vêtements. Si quelqu'un a vu mes vêtements, est-ce qu'il peut me téléphoner? Like, I was, I was like, please let me know. I was like, really? Like, just missing my clothes. And, and it was, even though I had a really, it was, the flight off, um, Santillaire was just this, just a long morning sledder, but it was it ended really cool because it was just clearing a a bar and there's not many barbed wire fences. It's mostly like electric fences or nothing, but there's a barbed wire fence. I cleared it by like a half a foot on the other side that let me get into a field and save myself from hiking up from the very bottom valley. But that was, mm. you know, that was little consolidation of the fact that the forecast was that it was going to be bad stormy for the next couple of days. And, you know, try as we may, we just, we got to, I think we got definitely got the closest I ever got. I think we got to within 90 kilometers, but, um, you know, it was, it was the first, it was the first time I hadn't made top 10 and all I was 11th and all top 10 made it to Monaco with this 12 day rule. So I was like, Oh, as like it, like it felt like it slipped through my fingers. Just like, you know, we were given a finite number of days. It was no longer dependent on the fastest guy because, you know, being within forty-eight hours behind behind Mauer just seemed to make Monaco completely impossible until they implemented this twelve-day rule. And uh, then to to kind of felt like a, you know, then you start to question every move along the way. You know, where did you screw up? Like. And it's yeah. it's it's one of those yeah you just ev- evaluating it but uh, you know the the best I don't know it, it was fun it was at least you know as uh, even though even though uh, this was approaching the day approaching trying to get to Saint Hilaire but uh, on the RV's chain by La Clusa the the coal by La Clusa there uh, got to pass a French guy in France. So that was, uh, you know, <laughs> one, one of the pilots. So I made it from 12th to 11th, you know, it was a small consolidation, but <laughs> at least, you know, right. I remember, I remember Chuck, uh, emailed me, uh, or, or sent, you know, whatever on the, on the, on the, on the chat. He's like, Hey, you just passed a French guy in France. So, <laughs> so that was, you know, at least, at least a little something. Yes. And, uh, a little consolation. Yeah. And then, and then I remember in, in that specific one, you know, some, uh, the day approaching the, um, uh, let's see which would, uh, we had inter, uh, yeah, we had interlocking. So we had interlocking. So we yeah. went by the Eiger. So approaching, like getting into interlocking, flying into there. And there's just this big cunim over, uh, over the Iger. So, you know, kind of skirting well away from it, but it was just like, just, just amazing lift uh, in that whole area, the whole Valley. And then, uh, you know, trying to get as close to interlock and then doing these, uh, uh, into, into wind in the lee 
uphill landings. And I was, I was starting to, <laughs> starting to get really cocky with those. I, you know, uh, you know, just, I was like, well, you got, got, got to land it. I'm not going to land at the base, I'm not going to hike from the bottom. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to make it over the crest. I'm not going to punch up wind, but I'll land into wind. Uh, just basically like you just basically fly it right into the hillside because it's flushing down the hillside and just kind of carry enough momentum and flare hard enough uh, and land into that. And, and that was that on, on that one, it worked out pretty good. So uh, it wasn't until 2013 where I think that, uh, no, 2015, um, where uh uh where i started to uh you know i think i overdid it with that and uh you know 2015 so as we move to that so i'm still got jesse and then uh pavel cibulka from the czech, czech republic was my other supporter and they just keep adding more yeah, I mean, you probably noticed they just keep adding more and more turn points i mean that, there's probably a finite limit yeah. once you get like to 10 or 12 but if yeah. if you go on the Wikipedia page and you look at like what was you know in two thousand three, I think they had to go north of Verbier, and then to Monaco. Yeah, exactly. They had two. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it made it made it so clear cut. You know. Yeah, I think I think in twenty, I can't remember. It's either twenty seventeen or twenty nineteen. There were thirteen turn points. Yeah, it was just wait what yeah i mean it's, <laughs> it's crazy it's crazy how it's evolved i know i know before i think it was the 15 where a bunch of people like violated interlock and airspace and at that point red bull wasn't really caring about it too much but then i think they the red bull got a big talking to where they basically had to like if you got you guys better enforce airspace uh and that's yeah. that's when things got really strict uh you know in 07 and even more strict in 09 and you know, that's that's one of those things I think is also a, a fluke. I mean, I, I tried my best and managed to avoid ever getting an airspace uh, violation. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm very happy about that because I, I saw the people who that who got hit by that. And especially the years where it was just all or nothing invalidation. I mean, elimination. It just. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I just, you know, I could see that, you know, their, their, their world was momentarily just crumbling because it's, you're just putting all this effort into that and just to be told, oh, you, yeah. you nicked this invisible wall and now you're cut. You're, you're, you're gone. Right. That, that. right. So, you know, as there's a few times I got really worried that I might have maybe nicked something that I didn't quite notice, even like the first day over the Geisberg uh, on one of the, one of the exops. I remember it was like, I might have drifted. Did I drift too far towards Salzburg? Oh no! Like I, was like, I just I yeah, wasn't yeah, quite yeah. sure. Oh, the stress of the airspace. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. It always it always dings people too. I and mean, that was one of the things that I kind of held on to in the last race because I had such a terrible start and I was really fighting at the back. And you know, but it was it was interesting. It was kind of it was in in some ways I wouldn't say fun, but it was it was kind of interesting being there because I'd never had a start like that. And it was you know like you'd said in your. 2007 race when you started really sick it was it was just a different kind of way to be optimistic you know because you know that people ahead of you are going to make mistakes you know people are going to get hurt you know people are going to hit airspace um you just got to hang in there yeah and it's you know it's going to work out you're not going to win but <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's and that's and that was true that did happen um but yeah so 2015, 2015. this is my first this was your last this is my last uh, one you made it to monaco but uh, we had a we had a cup we had a really cool day together uh, day eight or something after 
the turn point down in the Brenta. Yeah, but, yeah, that was that. What was that? They, they called it the Cimatosa or the uh, yeah, Cima, yeah. something like yeah, that. Yeah, so that that one, um, I remember. Yeah, that was in in many ways. Uh, I was trying to think of what would 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 consider worse because it was that was in many ways for me a great X Alps, even though like position wise it was my worst ranking 15th but it was yeah with with such relatively good weather and the 12 day minimum it allowed so many people i don't think before or since have that many people made it to monaco mm-hmm. and um but at that uh at that cimatosa that italian turn point i remember you know we had to land sign the board and then relaunch. I remember relaunching and very quickly side hilling it because I just, or within a few minutes, because I just wasn't, it was seeing so much cloud cover. I just wasn't trusting it to fly out of there. And I figured I'll side hill it, either wait for more sun or hike a little higher. Yet everybody that was like coming in, signing their name, flying away, they were making it work. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, and I remember, uh, you know, Jesse was like, why aren't you flying, man? And I was just like hiking this long traverse and looking for a good relaunch spot. And then the day was getting, you know, you know, it was getting late in the afternoon. So by the time I relaunched, it was more of an extended sled ride. And then, uh, it was the morning after that where we met up, um, and didn't, uh, who was it? Um, Dave yeah. Turner. It wasn't, yeah, yeah didn't, I, I mean, didn't he fly with, didn't we all show up on the same launch and just, like, yeah, same launch. You and I literally launched in the same place. Uh, that was one of the spicier launches I remember actually, not because of the conditions, but you were, just, you just hucked yourself off the cliff. I thought, okay, well he's doing it. I can do that. And, uh, for you, but you had a great flight. Dave and I both bombed. Remember it was re- wicked stable. Yeah. Cause he wanted to and go around, the, he wanted to go around this one corner. That didn't make sense. And I just got on this one spot and I remember just staying and gaining like a foot losing a foot just forever hugging this little spot until i was able to climb out and this is still even before the crest this is before like getting to yeah. to somewhere or was it somewhere that was that was an exciting day that was uh you know tom de dorlado was airlifted to the hospital uh the german guy bowed out of the race because uh, remember it had been windy we were fighting a lot of wind that year and uh, that was the day Toma got really hurt. And then I think, I think that was the day or one, maybe the day before when Michael Vichy landed in the lake through his reserve and landed in the lake and almost died trying to swim to shore. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some crazy ones in that, when that race went down. You and I were oblivious. Of course we were doing our own thing. Yeah. And then, uh, and then after that, I remember there was a, maybe one, one other stable day after that. And then, you more or less caught up and then that's when you did your deep line where I kind of, yeah. I, I, I carved way to the North and then flew. Um, I had like an eight hour flight and that was the day. I think we've talked about this on another one yeah. where I got into the wave uh, for a bit. Um, and, but you managed to cut through over by Zermatt. And when I was there this summer, I was looking at that and I was like, wow, like how did in all this wind, um, I, mean, I know, I know you said it was very spicy where you had to deal with, with, you know, had to stall it a few times, but just, you, you managed to push through there. Uh, Nick from New Zealand managed to push through there. But when I was, when I uh, flew up into tag, this, the Matterhorn turn point, but I just wasn't seeing how I just wasn't seeing the move to, to continue pushing into wind. It seemed like one would just. 
Yeah, they getting out of there was man. I I tried so many times. I hit the turn point and I just kept pushing up into those glaciers and just getting spanked and running back down and trying again and trying again. And then Powell, the 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 Polish guy, we both finally hooked a thermal and he was he was he was behind me, but you know in the same thermal, and uh, and we finally got high enough, you know, somewhere around thirty eight or something to keep going. And you know, what was the big factor there was communication. When I got into the SAS and then into the Zermatt and heading up there, you know, suddenly I was, I was with all these XOPS pilots and it was just, you know, it wasn't a recreational day. There was nobody else flying that <laughs> yeah. day, but there was XOPS pilots. And I, and I'm looking at them thinking, Whoa, I think, I think that's so, I don't remember now, but I think that's so-and-so they were in eighth this morning you know i was an 18th so i, I was very excited I, I knew that we were doing well and then i started getting these texts from bruce that just said do not come back to the road because everybody was going in and tagging it and going back to the road and getting drilled because the wind was so strong and just landing oh yeah i remember getting, i remember landing just before like not quite out to the road but like almost at wisp level but just still in that valley where the Y, the upside down Y starts, yep. or the wish Yeah. So yeah, that was yeah, that was very funky in there. But it just it seemed like it kind of seemed like the only move, even though I knew I'd have the the, the next day was forecast to be even more windy, and I yep. knew I'd have the end, endless walk up that valley, those eighty kilometers. Uh, oh, and the so, death so, walk up the Sion Valley. Yeah, yeah, but it's it was it was yeah it was you know I remember like once again like. Uh, Jesse was questioning, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you, those other guys made it that way. Like, I just, I just wasn't seeing it. And and we didn't have the, we weren't doing the communication thing. Like we didn't have a radio or necessarily calling each other anything in the air. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to say, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, it felt like I, for me, it felt like a, the smart move just to, just to fly back out. But may, obviously, obviously several people were able to push, push right up through that. yeah i mean it was you know and looking back and hearing the stories you know i it, it i ended up confirming this with powell a couple of years ago down in columbia because one of the one of the stalls you know just every ridge that you were heading west you know towards chamonix and verbier you know the wind was really strong and you were high it was it was fine you're just pushing against wind but when you get down below these ridges and have to lee out of it um you know you take some spanking and and one of them in particular, I guess I scared Paul out of the Powell, Powell out of the air. Oh, wow. <laughs> he just, he saw me just completely lose my glider and he went, okay, I've had enough, you know, yeah. and went and landed. And I didn't realize this, but Michael Vichy was right below us and he had also landed just, okay, this is, this is too much. Um, and I think Ferdy and Nick were the other two that were able to push, push through. But yeah, that was, that was, uh. That was why, I mean, and at the end, you know, after all the fighting, flying into Verbier was class one. It was, there was, you know, the wind finally died. And, and I mean, flying into Verbier, I was texting Mike and Stu and waving at town. And I mean, it was just a piece of cake. It was, you know, but that's still, it, was, that's still it took a while. That's still my mind that you're able to kind of push up wind through. Because I, I, now that I've seen that terrain a couple of times, just to, to imagine pushing up through it. Like when I was north of uh, Wisp and like making my way, kind of you know along the north part it, it made sense because i would never have to quite go into the lee and it almost felt like a little protected you know there's the valley wind that was strong in the valley then there was this mid layer that was reasonable that you could kind of work your way and keep pushing up through 
and then above crest level it was strong again but it seemed like going from Zermatt towards um uh to verbier like those initial crossings you're you're there it's not like you're flying along the side of a range you're you're going across like each one is a perpendicular yeah. like you're gonna have to push into wind into its lee to get over it and uh I, it's interesting to think about these things too i mean in in retrospect as well you know wondering i i I really don't think I could do that move again. You know, it, it's it, it's funny how the race puts you in different head spaces. I mean, part of it was that my feet were falling off. You know, so I, the night before in Bellinzona, I landed in all this wind. That was when Tom got hurt. And when I landed, Bruce was just super fired up. You know, Hans is right there. You can, you know, you're only 20K behind about six people. You could go get them. And I said, I can't walk, Bruce. I, I, and I'm flying like crap. I need sleep. I need a beer and I need to go to bed. I mean, it was 6 PM. <laughs> there was a lot of day left. And I, but I, I already had the, the idea of the next day of just going direct, but it was kind of this all or nothing, you know, it was day eight. I, I'd been, I'd had a series of bad days after a really good start. And I think it was just, I have to do something big here. I have to, you know, to make Monaco, I've got to do something. <laughs> and so I think it was just this you know, headspace that was available to me that day. And I, you know, I wonder maybe Kriegel's has that headspace all days. I don't know, but I, I don't know that I'd be able to do it. I, certainly now I don't think I would, I'd just be too scared. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, in some ways it's just ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I was, I was, I was almost thinking about that too. Like, 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 cause where, where you were in your flying career at the time. And then like, some of the stuff you've written later, like what, you know, what, why, you know, sometimes when people are so deep, like, why did you, I think you were, there's some article or something, you're telling some guy, what, why are you so deep if it was working just fine out front, you know, totally right. different scenario, but like, uh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's not always, you know, but I, I also, I also like to, when, when possible, go deep, like, especially on, on the Sierras, if it's ever possible to fly, you know, from, from waltz and fly directly over whitney and the 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 true crest of the high sierras that's that's mm. you know there's something about getting deep in there and seeing it all but but in less wind preferably you know <laughs> that's yeah, yeah 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 less wind for sure well was the was the highlight from that year just simply monaco or was there something during the race that really stands out more um i mean i think yeah you'd have to i would have to say finally making the goal even though once i you know uh got onto what do they call it is it mon mon, mon gros mon gros or the the one yeah. yeah it was it was somewhat anticlimactic because then there's this lot of this waiting around like you're once you get there you're uh you can't fly down to the raft right away uh, they ha they they kind of it's staged uh and you there was these there's so many of us there's like these little 15 minute windows you get to go and your supporter flies with you and then you know so kind of have to wait around for that and i remember getting up there in, in the morning and you know somebody handing me a beer and somebody handing me a red bull and i remember was like okay i'll have i guess i'll have one of each you know <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh yeah it was one of those things you kind of like you know it it did put a finishing touch it was you know i, I you know i wanted to make it i wanted to land on that raft I'm glad they still had that raft because I heard in the future or in the some of the future editions they they didn't even put the raft in the water anymore. Right. Um, so that was cool. I mean, that was definitely something that was you know eight years in the making for me. Five attempts, 
Um, so I, I would have to say that was, uh, that was, uh, super special to, to get to, to get to land there, even though it was the worst ranking and it was obviously the, e- one of the easiest years because so many people made it more than half the field made it. So it wasn't, you know, it was nowhere near as, I guess, unique or special as making podium, but it always, mm. for all those other four editions being, not quite a goal and being told it's time's up, stop, get in the van and now drive to Monaco and celebrate. It was, it was super, super cool to arrive, uh, in, in Monaco. Uh, to be there. yeah. The one thing I was going to mention on that 2015 is I think, as I was saying in 2013, I was getting a little bit cocky about landing in, in the Lee of things just, uh, like, okay, it's flushing over the, over this hill and I want to go there and I'm just going to, I'm not going to clear it, but I'm just going to, um, I'll, 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 I'll land, um, you know, and, uh, just land in the lead. Like I was saying, well, this time I did it. Uh, and it was, uh, it was really windy and it felt, it really felt like a constant stall into the ground. I know it wasn't, I know it was still flying, but there's just so much sink and it was, you know, probably kind of like, uh, 15, guessing the 18 miles an hour, uh, where I landed and, and it was in, in the Lee and luckily it was mostly grassy and took, you know, it was a really hard landing, but it was one of those, I kind of checked myself and everything was fine, but I was thinking, man, you only get so many of these, you know, you just, this, this, this yeah. is not the right thing to be doing. It's not worth it. It's just like, it was, it was one of those realizations. It's like, okay, you've been getting away with some of this and you just kept doing it in stronger and stronger conditions and just just don't do that again at some point it's yeah. going to bite yeah. in it was that i'm curious hanzo um was there an overriding one thing after 2015 that was okay i'm done was it because you made it was it because of kids family yeah i think it was, it was it was it was tommy the second kid uh was uh you know, on the way by Tommy was born in 17, uh, in March. And I'd kind of, I felt like I sort of checked off all the boxes, you know? I mean, it's like, mm. I knew it wasn't, I was obviously descending for the last four, I was descending through the rankings. So, so like the, the, the heyday was obviously, you know, early on being able to crawl up, up into ninth after such a bad start, then making podium then still like one more of holding the top 10 and then just kind of slipping through the rankings. And I could see the pace of the race was getting, you know, so intense, the profession, prof, if that's a word, professionality, I don't know, but uh, you know, now they'd opened it up to more than one supporter. Uh, you had, you know, so, so, so many people like preparing year round and uh, I just, yeah, I didn't have the time to invest in it. I mean, if you, it, if I'd won the lottery and if I didn't have kids, I think I would do it again. Uh, maybe even, maybe even just the lottery, you know, if, if, if you didn't have to work, then, <laughs> then you could do a lot more flying as you know, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think it was a good time. It was a good time to stop. I mean, uh, it's, it's, yeah. uh, you probably, you know, you, you just gone through the same thing recently yourself is there's, there's a point where you decide it's, you know, you're not, you're, you're not, getting better it's it's getting the race is only getting just crazier faster matter yeah 
and uh and and you just kind of you gotta i guess it's time to let somebody else have a go at it yeah totally hansa what a treat man that was that was really fun i've been smiling the whole time that was uh it was fun to relive those races with you thanks man thanks for sharing yeah yeah it was it was, it was definitely fun to, i'm glad we got to race each other in uh in 2015 i'm glad you got to represent uh for another three years and yeah, we're going to see uh, uh, how uh, Logan and what's the other Cedar, Cedar how, how they do. Yeah, I'm, 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 wishing yeah. Them, wishing them lots of luck. I know they're training hard. I got to see Logan shortly a few weeks ago in, uh, in Carpinteria and had a, a really fun um, sky camp with him last May in the Owens. We just had just stellar, stellar conditions, like minimal wind, but good, proper may time strong thermals so um yeah i think uh it, it'll it's it's time to give the next generation a, a a go at it absolutely well cool bud all the best and uh can't wait to fly with you again sometime soon yeah yeah no no thanks uh thanks for having me over again for the for this chat and uh yeah it's 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 been great it's, it's always a fun walk down memory lane looking back at all these x alps and look look forward to flying with you too man If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes cost so if you can support us financially all we've ever asked for is a buck a show and you can do that through a one-time donation through paypal or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out we put a new show out every two weeks so for example if you did a buck a show and every two weeks it'd be about 25 dollars a year so way cheaper than a magazine subscription and it makes all of this possible. Uh, I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I, for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people, and these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us then just let me know and i'll set you up with an account of course that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us but you'll find all that on the website uh all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show thank you